will remain standing and please take your copy of that word and open it to Mark's gospel. And Mark chapter 14, please. And we'll be reading verses 26 through 31 this morning. Mark 14, beginning in verse 26. This is the word of the Lord. People of God, let us give heed to its reading this morning as God speaks to us through it. And when they had hung a, sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Just those few short verses for us this morning as we get ready to consider them. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your gracious word that you have given to us, that reveals to us Christ and the way of our salvation. As it reveals as surely the need of our salvation, it reveals uh, what you have done to provide it to us. May we listen with ears open to hear what you have for us this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So after our break of a few weeks over the Christmas uh, New Year holiday, we return back to Mark's gospel here and picking up, we find ourselves in the latter portion of what we know as Passion Week, the week before, the week that will uh, culminate in the crucifixion of our Lord. Jesus has come into Jerusalem at the time of the Passover celebration, but as we've seen, he has not come, uh, not really to celebrate, but he has come to offer himself up as a sacrifice for the sins of all of those who trust him. He has come to be delivered over into the hands of sinners, and ultimately, as we've seen in the past, delivered over into the hands of God the Father in order to be punished by God the Father, not for any sins of his own, but, Christian, for your sins and for mine. He has, in this week, angered the religious leaders of the Jews by revealing their hypocrisy, their false practices in the temple and among the people. He has announced the soon coming end of the whole system of worshiping God in and through a physical temple. In fact, the temple itself is going to be destroyed. And those leaders, those Jewish leaders, for their part, have spent this week, much of it, trying to find a way to get to Jesus, to trap him in his words. They have sent wave after wave of 
of their cohorts to him to try to trap him in something that he says in order that they might accuse him and put him to death. They have, we might add, been unsuccessful at that as Jesus at every turn with divine wisdom has dealt with every one of their traps, in fact, turning them back around on those who have come to try to to trap him by his words. Jesus has most recently, this is right before we took our break, he has shared a Passover meal with his disciples, and in the midst of that meal, which looked back to the work of God and redeeming his people from Egypt, remember that Jesus turned that meal into a meal now that looks to the work of Christ in redeeming his people from their sin. And sounding an ominous note, we have read of Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. We have read of his making a deal with the Jews in which he will betray Jesus to them for a price, the price, it turns out, of a common slave. All of these things that we have seen, all of, this, um, all of these events, all of the, the interrelations of these events too, we have, we have been careful to note as we've gone along, have taken place according to the decree and the plan of God. Not by chance, not by uh, a happenstance, but by the, the decree, the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Set in stone in eternity past and brought unerringly to fruition by God through the free actions of all of these people who have been involved. That's what we've seen coming up to this. Then we took a break for Christmas, a time to celebrate the great miracle of the incarnation, the birth of Christ, and a time in our our culture that we celebrate with family and friends, times of more general feelings of of happiness and generosity and goodwill among people. You know, that cultural aspect comes with a certain downside for some of us. I count myself among them. I've always loved growing up the the Christmas season, and I become pretty nostalgic when it's Christmas time for the the days of yore, uh, growing up and celebrating those those family-ish kinds of things. So there's a certain sadness uh, each year in realizing that those days are gone, they're past, because the reality of it, especially in our time, is that families scatter, they disperse, you know that. Uh, Parents grow old, children grow up, mix in things like school, college, work, marriage, kids, in-laws, And you find that families are strewn across the nation, if not the globe. Things happen and families disperse. That's just the way things are. In our passage this morning, we're going to look at this brief section of Scripture and we will see Jesus make a prediction, a dire prediction, that his family, as he knows it here, his uh, group of disciples, these men that he has been teaching and traveling with for the last three years, that family is also about to scatter, though for other reasons. This passage is really made up of two predictions by the Lord, two prophecies, if you will, by Christ, and the reaction that comes from those predictions. So we're going to look at four different things this morning. We'll see 
a prophesied desertion, a prophesied denial, an assurance, and then we'll look at some application as our last point. First, a prophesied desertion. We see this in verse 26, um, beginning in verse 26. We looked at this verse uh, in a little more detail last time that we were in Mark's gospel. It's a transitional verse which tells us that at the end of the Passover meal turned Lord's Supper, that Jesus and his 11 apostles now, remember Judas has been dismissed in the midst of that meal, dismissed by Christ to go and to do that uh, treachery which he has um, purposed in his heart to do, to go and to betray Jesus to the Jews. But Mark writes then that the group has now left the upper room. They've uh, left Jerusalem, and they are headed across the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives. And particularly, they're not going to go all the way to Bethany as they had been doing each night, but they're only going to go as far this time as the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is all just a short walk to the east from Jerusalem. And it's during this short journey that this discussion takes place. And it's quite a discussion. It begins quite, as Mark records it here, quite abruptly as Jesus once again makes one of these out-of-the-blue statements that I'm sure takes the disciples very much by surprise. In verse 27, Mark writes that Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Imagine walking along with Jesus and all of a sudden Jesus saying, Oh, by the way, you are all going to desert me. That's an important enough statement that all four Gospels record it. And the crux of it is this, that you will all fall away. You will all run. You will all leave me. You will all be dispersed. You'll all be scattered. And notice, it's not, you may fall away, not, there's a good chance that you'll fall away, but Jesus says, you will fall away. And it's not some of you, not a good number of you, not most of you, but all of you. You will all fall away. You know, Scripture and theologians speak of the, the work of Christ uh, divided into to two aspects of his, his work. They talk about his, his humiliation and then his exaltation. And his humiliation consists in several things, in, in his being born, taking on our nature, being born in, in such a humble condition as he was, as we just celebrated, uh, in his living with sinners and enduring sinners and undergoing the, the miseries of this life, uh, it consists in his cursed death on the cross and the wrath of God um, coming against him in his being buried and in continuing under the power of death for a time. And in that, as part of that humiliation, we see what we see this morning, part, part of those, those miseries of being associated and being around sinners. Uh, one of those things is that he was not only rejected by men sort of broadly, like we all know that he was, not only that he was betrayed by a friend, 
as we've looked at, uh, at least of the, the prophecy of that, it will come to fruition very shortly. But also it consists in the fact that he was abandoned by all of his very closest circle of associates, of friends, the apostles. And he has just revealed at the supper, the supper that they are still digesting. It was so recently that he says, he said then that one of you will betray me, speaking of Judas. And now he says to the rest of them, all of you will fall away. All of you will desert me. The way Jesus presents this reminds us and speaks, doesn't it, beloved, uh, of Jesus' knowledge, his divine knowledge. As I say, this wasn't a guess. This wasn't a prediction. Jesus knew that this was going to happen. Because as John 2.25 says, he knew what was in man, and he demonstrates it here, that they would all scatter, they'll all run. And Jesus says here that they will, they will run not just because they're weak, though they are, not just because they are afraid, and they are, they will be, but because, Jesus says, the word of God says that this will happen. The scripture speaks it, and, and as Jesus said in John 10, 35, scripture cannot be broken. What the scripture says cannot not take place. And Jesus finds the, the emphasis that he brings out there because he says, you will all fall away for it is written. And then he quotes the Old Testament. He quotes from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. He quotes from, from that passage which, which speaks of the shepherd being smitten being struck and the sheep being scattered as, a, as a, a way towards the redemption of those people. And Jesus quotes that verse, altering it slightly to make explicit to his disciples what was implicit in the writing of, of Zechariah. And that is this, that it is God himself who is going to strike the shepherd. It is God himself who will be the striker. So the same prophet who spoke of the Messiah as a king who would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey also presents him as God's associate who will be struck by God himself for the purpose of the redemption of his people. Another reminder here that, that all of this is happening as the working out of God's own plan for the redemption of his people, which includes us sitting here this morning. I think we ought to also mention here that when, when Jesus says that the disciples are going to fall away, sometimes we, we hear that in, in church language and in church discussions about people sort of losing their salvation or, or backsliding um, but as we'll see when we get to the fulfillment of this in a couple of weeks, the failure of the disciples that Jesus is talking about here and the failure that we'll see is not so much that their, that their faith fails, but that their courage fails. They're not, 
They're not even denying Jesus, as we'll see that Peter will do. They're certainly not betraying him, as Judas has gone to do. They're just demonstrating that they have feet of clay. When the chips are down, they run. When the fear is there, when the terror is there, the, the, the knowledge that being associated with Christ is going to have actual, immediate, uh, physical consequences, they run. And, and that happens. And sometimes we have discussions about what to think of people whose, whose courage fails in those situations. We often think of ourselves and, and would our courage uh, fail? There, there have been a couple of, of um, times in church history in the, the 300s and the 400s where uh, in those great persecutions that took place where Christians had, had failed to, to stand strong and who had bent the knee to the persecution. And then there was a great discussion in the church of well, when those persecutions ended, what do we do with those people? They want to be readmitted into the church. Do we allow that? And that's kind of what uh, we're seeing here is, is that these disciples, Jesus says, are going to fail and that they're going to be scattered as a result. That's what Zacharias says. The shepherd is struck and the sheep scatter. And the coming events of the next few hours are going to strain the, not just Jesus, we know that, that he suffers and he, in the garden, suffers terribly, is grieved even unto death, he says. But it also is a time when the disciples, that their commitment, their courage will be stretched to the limit. So we see that. We see uh, that prophesied desertion. The next thing we see is a prophesied denial. And once again, we come to Peter. Once again, Peter shows his impetuousness and he speaks out and he speaks out of turn. He speaks, as Peter does, with zeal and devotion and commitment and probably with good intention, but unwisely, wrongheadedly. Peter really shows here that even as, a, as, a, as an apostle, as a disciple of Christ, that he has a long way to go in his own sanctification. A good bit of pride still remains in Peter. And in fact, I think that this whole episode in the fulfillment of this is used by God to really work to change that about Peter. Now, the scriptures trace Peter's journey here in the Gospels uh, from, a, from a fisherman to a fisher of men and goes through and shows how Peter is. And he's kind of got a reputation, doesn't he, that, that he just blurts things out. He, he's a representative of the 12, but not always a good one. And that's, that's the case here. Uh, Jesus continues to love Peter, continues to, to teach Peter as well as the other disciples who, who Mark reminds us right down here, if you look at the very end of verse 31, that, that Peter's not alone. It says that they all said the same. So they're all with Peter in the statement that he makes. You know, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And remember, they all asked a question at that point. Is it I? 
And now it seems that they all exclaim, it's not me, when it comes to being uh, denying Christ. Um, Led and spoken for by Peter, who in one sense speaks for them all, uh, but in another sense sort of throws them under the bus, or under the camel, I guess it would be. Um, He says this in verse 29, in response to what Jesus has said, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. I won't do it. They may do that, but not me. I won't. I am Peter. I am the rock. The rock on which you said you're going to build your church, remember? I'm sure, Lord, that you meant to exclude me from this statement of all falling away. They they may fall away, but, Peter says, I will not. Beloved, here is a place where we definitely do not want to be like Peter. We need to be careful. We need to be humble. As Paul said, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And Jesus gives Peter a hand with that here as he, once again, has to correct Peter's overconfidence and his pride. And he says there in verse 30, Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. So this is a step up. This is not just being scattered and not just being afraid and running, but now Jesus is talking about denial. And it's a step up in the solemnity of the statement itself uh, from Jesus as he made that first statement about the whole group. Because Jesus has a lesson to teach Peter here again, and so he begins, notice, by saying, truly, I tell you. We know from our study of scripture that when Jesus begins a statement with truly or truly truly comes from the Greek word amen or amen uh, that he is making a particularly weighty point and so he is here look at it truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice you will deny me three times Peter Peter You will not only desert me in the garden when the threat to you is great for being associated with me, but when that threat increases to you personally, you will deny that you even know me. And this is not something far off, not in the future, but Peter will be taken down a peg, Jesus says, this very night. Jesus emphasizes the nearness of it. This very night before the rooster crows twice, as this group walks up the Mount of Olives, it's getting pretty late in the evening. The Passover meal was was eaten after the sun went down and they've gone through all of that and now they're on their way to the Mount of Olives. So it's getting late in the evening, but Jesus says, Peter, before the sun comes up tomorrow morning, you will disown me. This very night will not pass in today until you fail in what you have just claimed. And not just once, and not just twice, but Jesus says before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now fortunately, the Spirit of God is not done working in Simon 
Peter, former fisherman, now fisher of men. But the days of Peter, as we will see him in the book of Acts, powerfully preaching the gospel and standing strong in the face of persecution without wavering, that will not come until Jesus has been raised from the dead and has ascended back into heaven and until the promised Holy Spirit has descended to indwell and to equip his people on the day of Pentecost. For now, though, Peter, like the other disciples, is still struggling. And haven't we seen that all along as we've looked at the the work of the apostles and the work of Christ and the way that they have, have, have conducted themselves, the apostles, as we've gone through this, that they fall short so much. Now Peter shows that he's still struggling. Struggling with the things that he's seen Jesus do and the things that he has heard Jesus teach. Peter's still not quite there yet, just like all of the rest of them. What is this talk about the the Messiah now as a suffering servant? Servant of God. What's this about Jesus saying that he's going to suffer and, and die and on the third day rise from the dead? What is this that Jesus is teaching us now about the destruction of the temple and of the holy city, Jerusalem? What was he talking about at our supper tonight, about one of us betraying him, apparently Judas, And now that we, his his faithful followers, who have given up everything to follow him, how is it that we are now going to just drop everything and run? And, thought Peter, how will I do that? And how will I go beyond that? How will I, Peter, one of the inner circle of the disciples who had seen Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus and heard the voice of God from heaven say concerning Jesus, this is my beloved son, am I now to turn my back on him and actually deny my Lord? We would expect that statement of Jesus to Peter, saying that he was going to do this, to be like a spear in Peter's soul, piercing his heart. And later, after it happens, we see that it is. But for now, it isn't. And why? Because Peter doesn't believe it. Mark that. Peter does not believe what Jesus has said to be accurate. Remember that it was Peter who, when Jesus first announced that he was going to go to Jerusalem and be delivered over to the Gentiles and be killed, Peter literally, the same thing, he didn't believe it. He actually pulled Jesus aside and took it upon himself to explain these things to Jesus. Mark writes... And remember where Mark got his information from, from Peter. Mark writes that Peter began to rebuke the Lord, to rebuke Jesus. Not so, Lord, he said, far be it from you. Lord, this shall never happen to you. Wrong, Jesus, 
This won't happen. This can't happen. We won't let this happen. He didn't believe Jesus then when he said what he said. And now that it's about to take place, he doesn't believe Jesus' statement about how he will react to these things. And Peter, once again, being Peter, is not afraid to tell Jesus that. Verse 31, but he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. This is kind of the the real amazing thing here is that Peter argues with Jesus about this. And he did so, Mark says, emphatically, with great emphasis. No, Lord, I will not do that. You are wrong, with all due respect. Even if I have to die with you, I will not ever, no, never, no, never, ever, ever will I ever deny you. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Mark tells us that the rest here echo Peter's refrain and determination that they would not do this. And as with Peter, we we don't have any reason to not believe that they, the apostles, were insincere in their affirmation. We, We won't desert you. We've been with you through a lot of things, Jesus. We'll certainly not deny you, even if it means our death. And, by the way, a historical note, it would. It would mean their death. All of the disciples but one will die a martyr's death for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And Peter's one of them. We know that tradition, extra-biblical sources say that Peter will eventually be killed in Rome, under Nero, that he will be crucified. But because he feels that it is, he is not worthy to be killed like his Lord, he requests to be crucified upside down. That's what tradition says happened to Peter. But first must come the denial. The refusal to recognize or to be recognized as a follower of Christ. And that's really the, the end of the, of the story here. Jesus has given the disciples a very dire prediction about their own loyalty to Christ as these things play out, a prediction which, as I say, is going to come to pass very shortly, a very discomforting bit of news to them, that the shepherd, Jesus, will be stricken and the sheep, the disciples, will be scattered. But Jesus said something right after that, right after he made that first prediction, something that we sort of skipped as we went through this passage, and I want to return to it now as Christ gives them our third point here, an assurance. Return with me to verse 28. Jesus, as he's speaking to them, says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Their desertion, Even Peter's denial notwithstanding, Jesus gives them hope. Jesus gives them something to look for on the other side of these bad things. An assurance of Jesus' own continued care for them and Jesus' faithfulness to them, to these men that he has chosen, he is going to continue to work with them. 
First, notice that he reaffirms to them that his coming death is not the last word. And now he phrases his assurance of his resurrection um, as a sure thing, which it was, but he simply says it here by saying, after I am raised up. A message of comfort in the midst of, of this, this sadness, this abandonment that he speaks of. In John 16, 16, Jesus said this. He said, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, in a little while, you will see me. Speaking first of his death and then of his resurrection. He's told them all along that he is to be delivered over and to be killed. And on the third day, to rise again from the dead. He has told them that three times as they've journeyed, and now he assures them of it again. And after that, Jesus says, after that has happened, after I am raised up, which I certainly will be, he says, I will go before you to Galilee. That little phrase, by the way, that says, I will go before you, doesn't just mean that he'll get there before they get there. It means that he will continue to lead them in that place. So the shepherd will certainly be struck and the sheep will be scattered, but Jesus says that after that, the shepherd will be raised and the sheep will be regathered. The next phase of Christ's work with the the apostles will begin after his resurrection. And not in Jerusalem, where they are now, but up in Galilee, where they have been, where we've been reading about in all of the Gospel of Mark, of Jesus working up in that area. That's where he will be with them again. And they will be with him again. He will go before you. We will pick this up in Galilee. The final time that he will be with them will only last for a short time, the better part of 40 days as he meets with them. But oh, how sweet it will be, both to the sheep and to the shepherd who, as he gives this prediction, will soon be laying his life down for all of them, even Peter. So a fairly brief account. Look at some application here, some things to pull out of this, some takeaways for us from this. First of all, of course, this passage brings again to our attention, Christian, the divine omniscience, the knowledge of Christ, These things and these men and all of you sitting here this morning are known thoroughly and perfectly and absolutely by the Lord. He knows the end from the beginning and he knows perfectly and completely what we are like. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our our hidden faults and he knows our attempts to hide our outward faults. He knows all. He sees this. He has ordained all of this. Next, let us also then re- re- recognize in ourselves our tendency to be like Peter and to, well, to think more highly of ourselves than we should and not to believe the things that the Lord says. You say, How? Well, every time you choose your own desires over the Word of God, that's what you're doing. 
Every time you think God has abandoned you, that's what you're doing. Every time we ignore God's word, we show our unbelief. But also remember this, consider this, that the disciples were the same way. And consider this, that as Jesus knew them perfectly, he knew their faults, he knew their unbelief, Jesus still chose them. He knows what they are. He knows what we are. He knows who we are. He knows that we are dust. And yet, he has chosen to redeem you, Christian, by his grace. For his purpose. Through his Son. And we know that your sin never surprises the Lord. It grieves him, to be sure, but it never surprises him. But mark this as well, that it never causes him to regret saving you. It never causes him to regret redeeming you. It never causes God the Father to regret sending his only begotten Son to go through these things that we're seeing here and what we will see in coming weeks in order that you might be made his child. It never causes him to regret saving you because he knew all of your sins when he set his love on you in eternity past and sent his son to live and to die in your place and to save you. Take comfort in that. Rejoice in that this morning. And God knows that you and I do not stop being sinners when he redeems us, when he saves us, when he justifies us, when he regenerates us when he converts us. He knows that we do not stop being sinners when he brings us into his family. But as with the disciples, he still chooses us, he still joins us to Christ, and he still calls us his children. A holy people through Christ. And Romans 4, 7 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And Jesus does not cast off his people because of their weakness, is the next thing. He does not cast off his people because of their weakness and failures. Because he cast off his son during his time on the cross so that we could have fellowship with God and he could have fellowship with us and not have to cast us off. By his grace, even the the result of the disciples and our own weakness will not destroy our fellowship with God, will not destroy their or our being used and loved by God Jesus said, I will go before you to Galilee. I will be with you there. I will regather you there. Even Peter's denial, even Judas' betrayal, even a Roman cross will not thwart God's plan. And beloved, be encouraged to know that Christ's death 
was not the end. He said, when I am raised. The resurrection is as sure a thing as was Peter's denial and the disciples' scattering. Jesus, remember, had always tied predictions of his death with assurances of his being raised on the third day. And he was, as Paul reminds us, raised for our justification. Christ did not cast off his weak, erring disciples. Also, let us learn, as we look at Christ, to, to learn from him to ourselves be gracious in the face of the failures of others. Loving and forgiving those who have done us wrong or who we think have done us wrong. Paul said, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. If God can fellowship with you and with me and and can love and use, if he can lay down his life for those who have done him such wrong, certainly we can forgive the petty things that people do against us. Not only can we, God calls us to do that. So let us bear with one another's shortcomings, just as we see Jesus doing here. We all have them. Your short, and your shortcomings can be as much an irritation to me as mine can be to you. And all of ours are to the Lord, who said, as he who called you is holy, you be holy in all of your conduct. We don't do that. We do, and we will, each of us here this morning, show ourselves to be unfaithful servants. At times, beloved, we are all Peter, thinking, or at least acting, like we know better than God. At one moment, we proudly strut and parade our righteousness and our faithfulness. And a moment later, by our actions, if not our words, are denying the Lord who bought us. At times, we are all Peter, but at all times, Christ is Christ. He knows our hearts, but he is greater than our hearts. He knows our sin, but he bore our sin on the cross. And he knows our weakness, but in it, he is shown to be strong. Let us rest in that knowledge today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that truth, Lord, that that you do not cast us off because of our sin, but you dealt with our sin. And we pray, Lord, that, that even as we know that we fall short, even though we run when the going gets tough at times, even though we deny you at times, Lord, that you never deny us, that you never take back the work that you have done so that we might be called your children. We pray that we would continue to serve you out of thankfulness for what you have done. 
that we will continue to, to despise our weakness, despise our faithlessness, but Lord, to rejoice in your faithfulness, your faithfulness to your word, your faithfulness to your promises, your faithfulness to the covenant by which you have bound us to yourself. We thank you for that. We praise you for that, O God. In Jesus' name, amen.